Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we are looking once again at Genesis chapter 1, but looking at it as the foundation of one of the central and most formative spiritual practices of the Jewish people, and that is Sabbath keeping. When we are introduced to the Ten Commandments and the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it is given with an explanation of why we do that. So we're going to be looking into that today as part of our series on Genesis. So this one is just called Sabbath. Thanks for listening. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be unabashedly dad at Jazz Fest style today. Because that's me. Today I'm taking my son to Jazz Fest. It's, it's really cool. Like My, my son, uh, Ezra, he started playing electric guitar last year about March. And uh, it, it's really cool seeing somebody that age. Because there's something about... I mean, it was the same way for me when I was about 13, 14. You... It's probably because you don't have a lot of commitments in your life, but you could just spend, I mean, he will spend five, six hours a day playing guitar in there if, uh, if, he's, if we let him. He, we make him do homework and stuff, um, but probably not enough. But anyway, so it's been cool to have, have like something. He tried to get me to connect with him on building computers and Minecraft, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I tried, I tried. It's mind-numbing to me. But now we have guitar to connect on, so we're going to go catch some uh, guitar players today. Uh, Walter Wolf, Man Washington. <laughs> Jack Black, Anders Osborne, or not Jack Black, Jack White. I keep calling Jack. I really think they ought to do Jack Black and Jack White. I, I vote for that. I would, I would see that band. <laughs> you know, somebody visited North Shore Vineyard one time, and, and their response to me was like, you know who you remind me of when you're preaching? Jack Black. And I'm like, is it, is it my physique? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm going to make this quick, so because uh, I, I got a festival to get to now. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I and and, and I, I think probably about a quarter of the church is probably already out at the festival this morning. So, um, but um, so a few weeks ago, I announced that that beginning in, in mid June, I'm going to be taking my first ever sabbatical. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. Now, I, I explained a little bit about what a sabbatical is. Uh, it, it is a, an extended time away from commitments and everything to just get refreshed and renewed, and, and um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because I've, I've been in ministry now for about 25 years, and about 15 of those years have been with, in pastoral ministry, about eight and a half here at this church, and there is something unique about kind of the stresses as a pastor that I find that's different from other jobs that I've worked. A lot of other jobs is like, you know, come 5 o'clock, you clock out, and you're 
you know, you leave work at the office. But as a pastor, you know, particularly, I mean, North Shore Vineyard is not just the church I pastor. It's, it's our friends. It's our own community. And it is so easy for the boundaries in your life to kind of get, uh, you know, you always feel like you're on call and you always feel like you're, 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 your mental energy is focused on the next outreach or the next message or the next thing you got to do. And I love doing all these things, but I'd like to continue loving to do all the things that I do. And I, and I will admit that in the last few years, uh, you know, Sundays just keep coming at you. And, 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 and sometimes you just, you just need a break to step away, get, get your head clear. And, uh, I, I don't know, uh, what, what reality is apart from Sunday morning church thing, uh, you know, for 25 years of my life. And, and, and I, I love what I'm doing, but I'm really looking forward to that. So we began, uh, the board, we began talking about this a couple of years ago, and I was actually going to take a sabbatical last summer, but being that my daughter was going off to college, uh, I thought, I'm not getting any rest. <laughs> and, and honestly, I'm, I'm glad we waited till this year because I think I'm, I'm in a lot better place, you know, emotionally, spiritually, uh, than I was uh, last year at this time. So I I'm, I'm, I think I'm in a better place to actually get something out of a sabbatical than I was a year ago. But as I'm uh, thinking about sabbatical, you know, because a good, good bit of my mental energy the past couple months has been trying to make sure things are set up when I'm gone. We've got a, a, a variety of speakers coming in this summer and worship leaders, so it's going to be a good experience for you. Uh, we can't let it be too good, though. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're having some good speakers in, but not that good. Just <laughs> I want you to be happy to see me when I come back. So that's part of the way we choose our speakers now. Um, <laughs> but there, I think because I've been focusing a lot of energy both on Genesis and sabbatical, I, on, on uh, Tuesday morning... Uh, I started off my week the way I often do by just taking a, a walk out on the trace because that's where I just like to walk around, be in nature, l- let my thoughts get clear and just think about what God's doing. And, and it occurred to me that in talking about Genesis, there's one really important thing that I haven't talked about that's back in Genesis 1. And I know I spent four weeks on Genesis 1, but uh, I want to I speak on something that, that has... Uh, that is the roots of one of the fundamental uh, formative practices of the people, the, the Jewish people, and even has implications on the church, and that is Sabbath. So if you, if you got your bulletin on the front, sh- front, front uh, page, I've got three, three skip scriptures listed here, but and I realized I don't think I printed out my notes, so I'm going to be going off of your outline. Um, in Exodus 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and, and Moses relays these commandments to everyone. And it's interesting, out of the Ten Commandments, most of the commandments are prohibitions, like don't do this. But there's two commands that are actually uh, affirmative ones. One is love, I mean, uh, Honor your father and mother. It's, it's better if you love them, too. Uh, <laughs> honor your father and mother. But the second, and that's the one listed on uh, your bulletin, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you 
nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreign residing in your, foreigner residing in your town, residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I've said a few times in this series that Genesis 1 is best understood as a home story and not a house story. We, we tend to argue about Genesis 1 as if it is a house story explaining how old this, you know, the universe is, you know, how the universe was built. And, and we try to often uh, harmonize uh, Genesis 1 with modern science and things like that. And, and I've, I've said this. I said it last week, like that's the worst way to look at Genesis 1 because nobody was asking those kinds of questions a couple of thousand years ago. Everybody in the ancient Near East assumed that everything was created by the gods. So they weren't even, they didn't, weren't dealing with that. What we see actually in Genesis 1 is a story of God making a dwelling place for himself. This is temple language. Uh, there's, a, there's a fantastic book out there called uh, The Lost World of Genesis 1 by uh, one of the premier Old Testament Bible scholars of our day named John Walton. And he, he points out that uh, what you see in this, this, this period of seven days that's introduced in Genesis 1, this was actually the, the, the period of time of a temple dedication. So if you go into the, like, the Sumerians, um, some of the oldest writings that have ever been found were from the Sumerians, and they talk about the dedication of a temple and how on the seventh day... They move the idol into the temple or unveil the idol. That's when the God moves into the temple. And you can understand the temple as being the house. The, the, but that's when the house becomes a home. Uh, Solomon's temple, which you can read about in the Old Testament. After they built Solomon's temple, they had a seven-day temple dedication. And then on the seventh day, Solomon prays this prayer and God shows up and God's presence fills the temple. So much to the point that, that people couldn't stand up. And that's, that's really the, that's, that's a really an important thing to understand because there's actually two creation stories going on in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Genesis 2 is actually the older of the two creation stories. It's the Yahwist account, and Genesis 1 is the priestly account. So it, it, there's no uh, doubt that we, we see this priestly language going on there. So God, so w- the best way to understand Genesis 1 is God is making a temple for himself, a dwelling. But our God is so big, he can't be housed in a temple made by human hands. God's, God's fullness is, is large and in charge. God builds the whole universe. But specifically, the Garden of Eden becomes the one particular place where God will dwell with humanity like the Holy of Holies within the temple. And see, if we understand even the temple language, the tabernacle, all these things going throughout the Old Testament, we understand the main narrative story arc of the whole Bible is God is seeking a dwelling place with humanity in his good creation. And so, if that is true, then what we see on the seventh day of a creation, if you look at the first, the opening verses of Genesis 2, it says, and God finished the work of creating everything, and God rested. And what that tells us is that that's the day when God moves into the house, and now the house is a home. If you've ever built a house or bought a house or moved into a house, it's just a house until you move in, right? And once you move in, now it's your dwelling. 
Now it is a space where you can be with your family, where you share meals, where you relax. And I got to tell you, you know, I remember when I was younger, I used to love, you know, I had a band and we traveled around and stuff. And I, I used to love being on the road. But I tell you, the older I get, man, there's no place like home. Like, I used to love staying in hotels, but I'm like, I don't even like to stay in fancy hotels. I want to be in my own bed, in my own space, my own dwelling, because it's the place where I feel like I can be myself, where I'm relaxed, I'm at peace. There's a shalom component to it. And that's what we see going on with God. And so it's interesting that out of all the commandments that we're giving in the, given in the Ten Commandments, most of them don't tell you why you have to do this. You know, it says, you shall not make a, an idol or worship it. Uh, it doesn't give you a whole lot of reasons why. You shall not steal. You shall not covet your, your neighbor's wife or, or your neighbor's possessions. But on Sabbath keeping, it says, the reason why... We are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is because even God rested on the seventh day. Why did God rest? Because God built the house, and now he's moving inside it. So it's not, it's not just that God stopped work. God actually entered into the fruits of God's own labors to enjoy communion with his creation. Now, I brought this up a few weeks ago as well. The prohibition in the Old Testament of, of making a graven image or an idol and putting that idol in a temple, it's interesting because God doesn't build the original. I mean, man doesn't build the original temple. God does. And the only image that God allows in his temple is the image that God created. And then in the image of God, he created them male and female as I talked about last week. We are the only image of God allowed in God's temple. And actually, when you get to the New Testament, guess what? We are the temple. (laughs) So we bear the image of God, not that we would worship the image of God, but that we would reflect the image of God to creation. Now, I find that when it comes to Sabbath keeping, there are kind of two extremes that people go to. There's one of apathy, which is common in Protestant traditions, in evangelicalism. It's like, we're saved by grace. We're not under the old covenant anymore. We're not over that, that Old Testament law. We can do whatever we want. We, we're not required to keep Sabbath anymore, so why bother? And then the other extreme would be legalism. I can, I can tell you, when I was a young Christian, man, I, I'd see people get all bent out of shape on you know, how you're supposed to observe Sabbath and what day, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, they do Saturdays. There's other people who do Sundays, and, and people just get all freaked out about it. But I want to look at what Jesus actually shows us about the Sabbath. So um, in John chapter 9, there's a story. I was going to read it to you this morning, but it's, it's, it's a very long story. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell it to you. There was this blind man. And he was blind from birth. And Jesus and his disciples are walking by. And I love, I love the compassion of the disciples. <laughs> they look at this blind guy and they say, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? Isn't that, isn't that the, the, the way we often are in the church? You know, we don't, we don't even see people. We just see, like, their issues. Like, you know, how'd this person end up like this? Is it their sin or is it their parents' sin? Because they, there was actually a thought back in the first century, I'm glad we abandoned this thought, that you could sin in your mother's womb. 
I mean, that, that's pretty hardcore. Like, like you, could, you could be punished with blindness for your whole life for some sins you committed in utero. Or, is that the right term? Okay, yeah. Whew. Sometimes I say things, and I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so the disciples see this, this, this poor blind guy, and, and their, their question has to do with treating him like just a, a problem. Who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, look, it's not about that at all. He said, this is a situation where you're going to see God's glory. Now, I want to remind you something about the Gospel of John, because the Gospel of John, more than any other book, ties into Genesis. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, the logos, the unifying concept that holds the entire universe together. That's what logos is. It's, this, it's, a, it's a big word in Greek. In the beginning was the logos, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And everything that was ever created was created through this word. And nothing was created apart from him. And this word was the light of the world. And this light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. And John also says, and this word, this logos that created everything actually became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the one-of-a-kind glory, gracious inside and out like father, like son. I'm done. That's good stuff. The very word that called forth creation, called forth order out of chaos, that organized the world and holds it together, the very word that is associated with the illuminating light of God, he's both word, he's light, and guess what? He, he, he moves from there to becoming particular and living in flesh and blood like one of us, God with us, Emmanuel. So that's where John starts the Gospel of John. And when we look at this story, guess what we're going to see? We're going to see the Word made flesh, bringing order out of chaos, the light bringing sight, and that's exactly what happens in John chapter 9. So Jesus comes up to this guy. (laughs) This is an unusual miracle. (laughs) He spits on the dirt and, and makes some mud. And then he packs the mud on this guy's eyes. I guess this guy couldn't see what he was doing. (laughs) Punked, Jesus edition. (laughs) Uh, Going straight to hell for that one. (laughs) Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud. What is this a tie-in to? How was Adam formed out of the ground? Out of the dirt. Jesus packs mud on this guy's eyes. He says, go wash off in the pool of Siloam. The guy washes his eyes, and all of a sudden he can see. He's like, hot dog, this is is awesome. And he's excited the way you would be if you had been blind your whole life, and now you can see. And he's telling everybody about it, but guess who's not happy? The Pharisees. And why are they not happy? Because Jesus did this on the seventh day. There are seven days in a week where you can do miracles and, and God, six other days. Why do you have to do it on this day, the holy day? God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And you're breaking the rules. You ever, you ever meet people like that who just can't get happy? Because they're like, <laughs> they're like. <laughs> My daughter, Tevia, in our house. I mean, she doesn't live with us now, but she's going to be back next week for the summer. 
part of the summer at least. She has always loved playing games. She drives Dina crazy. Dina's not a game player. Not so much. But Tevi has always loved to play board games, and her favorite board game is Monopoly. You got anybody who loves Monopoly in here? Yeah, yeah. That's a special, this is a small group of people, but, um, <laughs> but Tevi loves Monopoly, and she, she would love it if, if on, on our Christmas break, if that's all we did every night was just forget watching movies or going out, we just play Monopoly. Like, she'd be perfectly happy with that. But when you're playing Monopoly, I think this is the way it works at most places, you got to kind of make up some rules, right? Because if you play it by the exact rules of Monopoly, the game's going to be like 18 hours long, right? So we, we come up with little rules at our house to, to kind of move the game forward, like all that money you put in the free parking thing. We make it easier to get that and get rich and, you know, put everybody else out of business. It's uh, real Christian things. Um. <laughs> but the point is... The rules exist so you can play the game, right? It's silly to be focused on the rules all the time if that, as if that is the point of the game. But that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. See, there was a belief in the first century that the Pharisees, they'd actually come to, to um, believe that the reason the Messiah had not come is that people weren't following the rules enough. And so the Pharisees, you know, there's, I think there's something like 600 laws in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees were like, that's not enough. We need more laws. We need more rules. And if we come up with more rules and we follow all these rules, God's going to look down from heaven. And he's going to be so impressed by how well we're following the rules, God's going to send a Savior. So the, so the Pharisees came up with another couple of hundred rules. And by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, they're just like crazy with it, thinking the rules are the whole point, And they're not playing the game. And so this blind guy gets healed on the Sabbath, and poor dude gets brought up bef- like for trial. And they're like, well, who is this guy who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. That's all I know. They bring this guy's parents in there. Why? Who is this guy that, 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 that healed him? And they're like, I don't know. Why don't you ask our son? We asked him. <laughs> and they just, it's, it's just an awful scene for this poor guy. But later, Jesus bumps into him because he gets kicked out of the synagogue for, for getting healed <laughs> on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, do you believe that I am the Son of Man, probably one of the best ways to understand that is that this term is the, the, the truest human. Do you believe I'm the truest human being that ever lived? He said, I do. And Jesus goes on to say something. I love this. He says, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him, heard him saying this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And Jesus dropped the mic. (laughs) Isn't that what light does? 
See, see, in Genesis 1, we see, we see word and light connected. We see it in, 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 in the prologue of the Gospel of John, word and light. Jesus is both the logos that holds everything together, the, the, the creative word that calls order out of chaos, but he's also the light of the world. And that light, that same light that can illuminate life, that can make us see, that can make us discern things going on around us, that same light can bring blindness too. If you claim you see when you really don't. If you, um, I, I would encourage you at some point, you don't have to do this this week, but it's, it's quite fascinating. Do a little search on, on Jesus breaking the Sabbath in the Gospels. And you're going to find, like, Jesus was, he was trying to pick a fight, man. He was breaking the Sabbath all the time. Him and his disciples are out there. They're, they're walking one day, and they're plucking some grain and eating it. And the Pharisee's like, you can't do that. You can't eat anything on the Sabbath. You can't pluck grain. That's work. And he's like, dude. That's why it says that in Greek. <laughs> Jesus said, man, if one of you got one of your animals stuck in the mud, you'd go rescue it on the Sabbath. We're just walking and grabbing some grain. He's like, come on. He said, the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, this this thing is a gift from God to actually help us. And when you look at all the different instances where Jesus is breaking the Sabbath, most of the time what he's doing, he's healing people. He's doing good things. He's reconciling people. Uh, like there's a lady who had a hemorrhage for, I think it was 13 years. And under the Old Testament, if that was your condition, you, you were unclean. You couldn't hang around community. Jesus heals her. Jesus heals a leper. He heals a blind man. And we focus oftentimes on the physical symptoms that actually get healed. But do you realize if you were a, a leper or a person with a hemorrhage or even a blind person, you realize how much you're actually cut off from community and participating in life because of your debilitating physical symptoms? And so when Jesus heals somebody, it's not just a matter of healing their physical body. He's actually restoring them to community. Now they can actually participate. What is the Sabbath about? It's about healing. It's about reconciliation. It's about uh, refreshment. It's about connecting with loved ones. That's what it's supposed to be about. It's not some arbitrary rule that God just gets pleasure if we, you know, just stop every week and just, oh, I got got to rest because God told me to stop. No, it's not that. The Sabbath was meant so that we could dwell in the very shalom, the peace, the God setting things right by the Spirit with one another. Sabbath is a time where we should be able to connect with our own hearts. You ever get so busy where you just don't even know what's going on inside? Nobody's answering because you don't know. Because everybody needs a Sabbath in here. (laughs) I do. I'll go for a few weeks. I'm just going, going, going. And Dean is like, you need to, like, take some time to get quiet and and pay attention to what's going on inside. Oh, shut up, woman. I'm I'm doing stuff, important stuff right now. I don't say say that. (laughs) After she kicked my butt a few times. No, <laughs> no I, I, I frequently get into those times in my life where I'm going, going, going so much, I have no idea what's going on beneath the surface. 
And sometimes the most spiritual thing I can do is just stop everything and get some rest. Get some refreshing. Sabbath, observing Sabbath forms us around what is most important. And I think that this is why we observe Sabbath. And I don't care if you observe Sabbath on Saturday or Sunday or like me. My Sabbath is on Mondays. I take Mondays off. I don't care when you do it. I don't know if God cares either. It's just that you need to do it. <laughs> and, and, and by Sabbath, I'm not saying that you've got this day that you can do all the other projects around the house. Because <laughs> that's, what, that's what a lot of us think of when we think of a day off. A day off is really not a day off. It's, it's a day to work on all the other stuff that we can't work on because we're so busy working on everything else. Sabbath is about taking your hands off and enjoying entering into the fruits of your labor. What good is a house that you've spent so much time building if you never actually get to sit at peace and enjoy it with the ones that you love? What good is a table that you've been building for years if you never actually sit down and have a meal on it, you know? We have this idea that if you want to change your thinking about something, it's primarily an, an, an intellectual approach. Like, just read more books and you'll change your thinking. Or just try to change your thinking. And, you know, I mean, psychology, there's cognitive behavioral therapy. That, that's good stuff. It's been helpful in my life. And, but most of the time, if you want to change your thinking, it actually starts, and this may sound rather intuitive, it starts in your everyday practices of life. I got this little thing called a Fitbit about a year and a half ago. And this little Fitbit just says, get 10,000 steps a day. I get a lot of steps when I'm playing keyboards on worship on Sunday morning. <laughs> it's in the middle of who you are, and it's like 10,000 steps. Yay! <laughs> um, but I got to tell you, this little, this little device, I'm not, I'm not being a Fitbit evangelist, but I'm just trying to illustrate this. It, it really changed my life because I was like, I've gone to the gym so much in my life and tried different things. And, and I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to try to walk a little bit more in the day. And so I started walking. When I was taking a phone call, instead of sitting down and talking on the phone, I'm going to walk around and talk on the phone. And I realized, like, it's very easy to walk four and a half miles in one day if I'm just a little bit intentional about it. I don't even have to, like, try to walk. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't have to, like, set aside time to, like, I'm going to go walk for an hour. If I just pay attention and try to alter a few little things in my life, by the end of the day, I've usually walked four and a half miles, just with a little bit of intentionality. But what, what I noticed began happening in me about six months into this was it started changing my thinking because it was an embodied practice. That's what the spiritual disciplines are, folks. The discipline of prayer, taking communion here at, at the altar each week, singing worship songs to the Lord, reading the Bible, praying, doing those things on a regular basis. They form us. They shape our desires. We do these things. Why do we gather here weekly on a Sunday morning when, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, hanging out at home? <laughs> Why do we do this? Partly because it's a formative process. I need to get together with other people that are singing to God and we're proclaiming that there's something bigger than us, that our lives are not 
about us. It's about God. We need that. We need that because it forms us and shapes our desires. It helps us become more loving and compassionate people because you can't think your way into being more loving. (laughs) You can't. I wish. I wish it was that easy. It's an embodied process. And this is why I keep hammering on this week after week. So much of what we have in modern Christianity is no more than Gnosticism. It's ideas in our head that we think are going to take us somewhere else when we die. But Jesus never called us to have ideas just to go somewhere else when we die. He said, follow me. Like, take a step and another step. And it's an embodied life. It's not a metaphor. Like, like actually, like, with your life. (laughs) Follow after Christ. And it will shape you. And in the same way, Sabbath shapes us. Sabbath is one of these practices that if we can get in the rhythm of, of, of taking one day a week off, over time, that shapes us. It is so easy to live in anxiety about our finances, isn't it? Hold on. Can I get a name in? It is so easy to get bound up with anxiety about the future and how things are going to be and and living in a world of, of, of scarcity. That's easy. You know what Sabbath does? It forms trust in us. Because one day a week, we're going to take our hands off and say, God, I could, I could be more productive. I could get more things done if I, if I worked one more day. But I'm taking my hands off, and I'm going to trust that even though it's going to look like I'm a slacker here, <laughs> even though I'm taking my hands off, you're going to provide for me. We need that. You know, Americans, in study after study that I've read, Americans work more than any other people in the world. I mean, we're just always working. I remember, and I remember as a young guy in ministry, you know, when I was working at the Kenner Vineyard, I remember, like, proudly telling people, like, I'm working 65 hours a week. You know, like, wore it as a badge. And I'm like, dude, what an idiot. <laughs> really? We wear it as a badge like it's, it's, it's a, a noble thing to destroy yourself and get burned out and be stressed out all the time. Like, that's a noble thing. We got to change things, folks. Thank you. Thank, thank you. We got to change things. And I think the church ought to be the place where, where we're learning how to live differently, not by the anxiety about the future, not by, by scarcity, but we are living in trust. Trusting that God, God wants us to enter into the fruits of our labors. That's how Sabbath forms us. Because now I can look at my work week the same way God looked at his work week. I'm building all this stuff so that I can enter into it. And enjoy it. One day a week. Somebody ain't happy out there. (laughs) (laughs) Sabbath reveals to us that Sabbath is a time for healing, for community, for nourishment. That the Sabbath was made for humans, not humans for the Sabbath. Sabbath forms our desires. Sabbath keeps us from making an idol out of our work. See, it's so easy in your job to actually think that your job is your provider, isn't it? It is so easy to think like, oh, all my provision comes from my job. But Sabbath tells us, no, I work a job, and working a job is good, but ultimately the Lord is my provider. 
Because, by the way, Adam and Eve were created to work. I've, I've said that a few times. They, they weren't just lounging around the whole time in the garden. They had stuff to do, but they rested in it. Sabbath keeps us from making an idol out of our work. Sabbath reminds us that God is the ultimate source of provision for our lives. And Sabbath helps us to remember that the best things in life aren't things. I saw that on a restroom wall one time in a truck stop. (laughs) I'm like, that's true. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) The best things in life aren't things. It's relationships. It's the people around you. It's the Spirit's movement in your life. It's the beauty of creation all around us. That we get blind to because we are just so focused on scarcity and anxiety and getting our identity in what we do. And Sabbath helps us break that. We're going to close today so I can get to Jazz Fest. We're going to close today by taking communion. Um, who's our communion folks today? Alan, Judy, and Georgia. Georgia. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to, to come to Jesus and, and realize that, you know, even, even in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews calls Jesus, talks about how Jesus is our promised rest. As we come to this table today in light of the Sabbath, in light of Jesus healing the blind man on the Sabbath, in light of Jesus feeding his disciples on the Sabbath, let us take of this bread. Let us be formed by what this bread represents. God was broken that we would be made whole inside. The blood of Jesus was shed that we could enter into new life. And it's all done around a table. And guess what? You're welcome at the table of Jesus. Jesus never turned anybody away from his table. Thank God, right? So today, I'm just going to do a, I'll do a song here as we, uh, as we close in communion. Come up to the front. And the way we do this here at North Shore Vineyard, we take of the, the bread, and when you take of the bread, somebody's going to look you in your eyes and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And we dip the bread in the cup, and the person holding the cup is going to look you in the eyes and say, this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. Be formed and shaped by this meal today, and may you enter into the Sabbath rest that the Lord has for you. So as I, I do this last song, just feel free to come up here and uh, take communion.